Please join me in taking out your Bibles and turning to the Gospel according to Mark. We're going to be in Mark 10, verses 13 through 16 for the next few minutes. As we go to God's Word, let's not neglect going to the author of that Word in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this privilege to hear you speak to us through your word and by your spirit. And so, Father, we pray that you would open our ears to hear your word, open our eyes to see your word, open our minds to understand your word, open our hearts to embrace your word. Father, as we have just sung, would you cast a look upon us, your needy, and weary people, for salvation is found only in Christ, and so it's to him that we look now through your word, and we pray in his name, amen. As you know, I like to begin often by asking a question, a question that sometimes really does demand a, an out loud answer, but sometimes the questions um, are meant for you just to think about silently. Well, how about this question? Have you ever seen someone mad, angry, furious? I mean, really furious. Well, have you ever been mad, angry, Furious. Do you realize that your anger reveals what is important to you? Sinful anger reveals your idols. I remember a number of years ago when we held our first Sunday school class, we saw a series called Changing Hearts, Changing Lives from the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. And I remember... One of the speakers says that we get angry when one of our idols is stepped on. Well, have you ever been angry and not sinned? It's possible. I mean, we're commanded in your anger, do not sin. But really, can you think of a time when in your anger, you weren't also sinning somehow? Well, in our text this morning, we have an instance where Jesus, who never sinned, nonetheless, was very angry. We will see he was indignant with, of all people, his very own disciples. Well, where are we in Mark? We are with Jesus and his disciples on the way to Jerusalem where Jesus will suffer, die, and be resurrected. We are looking in Mark, and we're finding answers to the questions, who is Jesus? What did Jesus come to do? And how should someone respond to the person and work of Jesus? Here we are in chapter 10, and we've already passed the midpoint, the, the, um, the central turning point of Mark's gospel in chapter 8, where we have both a call 
excuse me, a confession of faith and the call to discipleship. In that theme of discipleship, last week we saw God's high view of marriage versus man's attempt to separate that which God joins together. Today we will see God's high view of children versus man's attempt to separate that which God joins together. Last week, we saw the unbiblical thinking of the Pharisees. Today, we will see the unbiblical thinking of the disciples. Mark, the author of this gospel, he's a documentary writer. He's a producer of a docudrama. He shifts the scene from that house where Jesus had a private conversation with his disciples to an unknown location. In this scene, we will see three pictures. A picture of what Jesus is like, a self-portrait of Jesus. We will see a picture of what Jesus' disciples are to be like, a portrait of a disciple painted by Jesus. And finally, we will see a picture of children in the church. Join with me as I read Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. So our first picture is a picture of what Jesus is like. Here's the scene, Jesus and his disciples and another rebuke. Remember earlier in chapter 8, Peter rebukes Jesus, but Jesus turns around and rebukes Peter saying, get behind me, Satan. In chapter 9, we saw the disciples stopping a man who was, cast, who, who was uh, w- doing works in the name of Jesus. And what was Jesus' response when they told him that we had tried to stop him? Jesus' response and rebuke is this, do not stop him. Well, here it's the disciples versus people bringing children to Jesus. And Jesus responds, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. People are bringing children to Jesus so that he could touch them. Earlier, we saw people bringing people to Jesus for Jesus to heal them, here to touch them, to bless them. We often see politicians working the rope line, wanting to take a baby in their arms hold up the baby for a photograph, maybe even kiss the baby. Not in the first century. A child had few, if any, rights. The disciples are rebuking those bringing children to him, most likely parents. Now, we we have few details here. Mark is blurring the details in order to emphasize the work and the word of Jesus. And why 
do we see what's going on? Well, there's no direct reason. It's not necessary to explain in order to emphasize the point. But Mark is indeed emphasizing something. The dullness of the disciples, their inability to understand. The disciples at this time still don't get it. Because they are attempting to protect Jesus and indeed to protect themselves as members of an exclusive elite club. Basically, the disciples are not giving permission for the people to come. Just like earlier, they did not give permission for this man to do works in Jesus' name. The disciples' attitude here is formed by the society's standard around them. The human and fallen standards, not those as we will see by Jesus. They assume that Jesus is just too great to humble himself in this way. Yet Jesus has already used the reception of children as an example of what it means to be a servant of all. The disciples have already forgotten the lesson of chapter 9, verse 37, which is true greatness is demonstrated in humility. The humility that is shown, as we will see, when a grown-up welcomes a child. Well, what is Jesus like based on this self-portrait? Well, one thing, Jesus is indignant. Interestingly, in the parallel accounts in Matthew and in Luke, you do not see this response to Jesus. Mark is including it here for a reason. Jesus is much grieved. He is very angry. He is aroused in anger. He is venting himself in expressed displeasure. Indeed, as I mentioned earlier, the object of a person's indignation reveals a great deal about that person. Here we see it revealing Jesus' compassion and his defense of the helpless, the vulnerable, and the powerless. Why was Jesus so indignant? His disciples were doing the very thing for which he so consistently opposed the Pharisees. His disciples at this moment are misrepresenting the character of God. The disciples here fail to see things as Jesus sees things. And that, my friends, is one of the reasons why we are here. To continue to get our thinking and actions readjusted and realigned to Jesus. Every so often, our cars need to be realigned. If our wheels of our car need to be realigned, how much more does our own thinking and our own actions need to be realigned and readjusted by the Word of God? We see, what is Jesus like? He's indignant when the character of God is misrepresented. But remember... Throughout Mark, we see that Jesus is also the king. We saw that from the very beginning. Jesus is the king who is bringing with him the kingdom of God. Jesus is displaying a unique authority here that earlier folks around him had recognized. Jesus is bringing together the kingdom of God with himself. 
Because Jesus is saying here that coming to him and coming to the kingdom of God amount to one and the same thing. Who is Jesus? In this portrait, he's indignant. He's the king. But we also see Jesus is the one who receives children. We see his actions in verse 16, and he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. His actions here in this last verse illustrate the truth of his words recorded in verses 14 and 15. Though he is absolutely great, Jesus is humble enough to receive those who possess nothing. His final action is as significant as his words, especially in the context of the value of children in the first century Hellenistic society. And again, it's more than touch. It's Jesus blessing children. And the word is intense. Because as you know, in the Bible, blessing is the state of God's perfect creation at rest, we read in Genesis 2, that was lost at the fall, we read in Genesis 3. God promised Abraham that one of his descendants would bring this blessing back to the world. This is what Jesus is like. In other words, this is what God is like. Because Jesus will say, as recorded in John 14, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, it's worth noting that in doing this, Jesus is continuing to teach the 12 disciples that the only entrance requirement for the new Israel is helplessness. It is not virtue, but rather helplessness that is stressed. Because children are not blessed for their virtues, but rather for what they lack. They come as they are, small, powerless, without sophistication, as the overlooked and the dispossessed of society. To receive the kingdom of God as a child is to receive it as one who has no credits, no clout, and no claims. Children here are pictured as being desperately needy, utterly dependent, completely reliant upon another. Well, in addition to showing us what Jesus is like, our passage also shows us what Jesus' disciples are to be like. And so this second picture is a picture of what Jesus' disciples are to be like. Notice how verse 15 begins. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Truly, whoever does not shall not. In the construction of the original language, this is the strongest possible negation. In other words, there is no way in the world that he or she will ever enter it. But what does Jesus mean? First of all, they, that is the disciples, are to be themselves like children. Well, what are children like? They're not innocent. It's not some sentimental quality, some 
subjective virtue. Rather, there is an objective reality. The child is entirely dependent upon the parent. Total trust is at the center of a child's existence. They are desperately needy, utterly dependent, completely reliant upon another. So it is for the disciple. Cannot earn it, cannot deserve it or make it, but only accept it thankfully as God's gift. The kingdom of God, in other words, Jesus is saying, is not achieved, it is only received. One commentator says this, quote, what makes them, that being children, fit subjects for the kingdom of God is not some virtue in them, but precisely their need. They bring nothing. They need everything. There's a well-known hymn that most of us know, Rock of Ages. Verse 3 begins like this. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. That's what's going on here. Well, not only are the disciples themselves to be like children, the disciples are to be those who receive children. In other words, they demonstrate humility and thereby demonstrate that they themselves have received the kingdom of God. This verse can possibly be uh, translated, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like one receives a child. Jesus does not draw attention to anything about the children. Rather, the focus is all on Jesus' act of self-humbling in receiving them. Remember, the disciple is one who denies himself, takes up his cross, and follows Jesus in this way and in every way. Here we see Mark saying, through Jesus' words and actions, that one way that you demonstrate that you have received the kingdom of God is that you receive children. Indeed, as I was working on this, I was struck at Romans 15, verse 7, once again. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. So we've seen very quickly two pictures in our text, what Jesus is like and what his disciples are to be like. And yet there is still another picture, I believe, in this text, that being a picture of children in the church. Jesus, remember, is indignant. He is mad. He is angry. He is furious. He is venting. He is steaming. Why? Because his disciples are attempting to separate what God has joined together, Jesus and children. Children, you see, are not second-class citizens in Christ's kingdom. They are present partakers of Christ's blessings as members of the visible church. And if children are first-class citizens in this kingdom, they should not be denied the sign and the seal of membership in the visible church, in the covenant community. That's one of the reasons why we believe Scripture teaches 
that children of believers are to receive the sign and the seal of covenant baptism. We see in this, children are to be brought to Jesus from birth. Because what is parenting, if anything, but driving home the promises of God? Promises to be sure that are received only on the condition of faith. Because as we heard earlier from Ephesians 2, we are all children of wrath. We are all dead in sin. And yet, some who are chosen as his children receive life, have been given mercy and grace. Parents and the church teaches children both the privileges of kingdom possession and the responsibilities of kingdom life. Entrance into the kingdom of God is by grace through faith in the person and work of Jesus. Children, just like adults, do not belong automatically to the kingdom of God, but must come to Jesus and receive him. Before we move on and conclude, children, I'm speaking to you and adults. You can listen in. What a privilege you have. Boys and girls, what a privilege you have to be in homes where parents believe the gospel, are looking to Jesus alone for salvation. What a privilege you have at home to be read God's word, to be prayed with and prayed for. And what a blessing it is, children, for you to be in a church where you also aren't second-class citizens, but rather members of the visible church, hearing God's word, participating in the life of the church in hopes that you, by God's kindness and mercy, will also make a public profession of faith. What a privilege you children have to be in families and in a church that believes the biblical gospel. There are three pictures in our text, but let's finish now with three short points that our text makes about the kingdom of God. First, the kingdom of God is entered as a child, as our text makes clear. You enter the kingdom of God like a child, absolutely weak, helpless, dependent. The people who enter the kingdom are not the worthy and the accomplished, but those who are willing to admit their helplessness and simply depend. Jesus rebukes the disciples who still don't see that acknowledged weakness and acknowledged dependence are the real qualifications for the kingdom. It's, it's a way of saying that the only qualification is you have no qualifications other than your need. Children had no standing in first century society. If any of us received the kingdom of God, it must be completely as an unmerited gift. From God. And so, second, the kingdom of God is a gift. The kingdom of God, as we see in our text, is received. It's not achieved. It is a gift. It is not a reward. The kingdom of God is a gift. It is not a right. It is given by grace, not earned by works. 
Indeed, the kingdom is that which God gives and that which a man receives. Indeed, the gospel is charity. And that's why it's such a stumbling block for most of us. We really are too proud to beg. But it's only when we humble ourselves and beg that the doors, as it were, to the kingdom are opened. First, the kingdom of God is entered as a child. Second, the kingdom of God is a gift. And finally, third, the kingdom of God is thus entered by receiving. The kingdom of God, Mark is wanting his reader then and now to know, can only be entered by those who know that they are helpless and small without claim or merit, receiving the offer of the kingdom of God through repentance and faith. William Lane in his commentary says this, the the unchildlike piety of achievement must be abandoned in the recognition that to receive the kingdom of God is to allow oneself to be given it. In other words, you have to declare spiritual bankruptcy in order to receive the riches of God's grace. Jesus is teaching his disciples here both then and now that the only way that you will enter the kingdom of God is by receiving it as a gift as you are brought into it by someone else like children being brought to their parents to Jesus to receive his blessing. Recently I was listening to a talk on a CD again. It's entitled, What is the Gospel? I think it would be better titled, What is the Gospel and How Does It Change Your Life? And in this talk, the speaker presents a question and three answers. And here's the question. Are you a Christian? And here's the first answer that some people give. Well, I'm trying My friends, that answer represents someone who doesn't understand Christianity at all. The second answer to the question, are you a Christian, is this. Yes, of course. That reveals someone that doesn't understand the gospel. Answer number three to the question, are you a Christian, is this. Yes, And it's a miracle. Wonder of wonders. It's a miracle that I believe that God has had mercy on me, that I've received grace, that I've been brought into, that I've entered the kingdom of God. This is the portrait. This is the picture of people who who understand the gospel and who are denying themselves, taking up their crosses and following Jesus as his disciples. We started with a question. Let's end with a question that our text presents. Are you a a Christian? Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this portion of your word that reveals to us who you are.
And Father, we thank you that you are the God of all grace. You are the God of mercy and grace and faithfulness. You are a God who is slow to anger. You are a God who takes our sins and puts them away as far as the east is from the west as we trust Jesus. Oh, Father, would you be pleased to give faith and strengthen faith? And Father, would you give us growing humility as we recognize that we are not those who have achieved the kingdom, but rather we are those who have and are continuing to receive the kingdom. Father, may that make us gentle, kind, May it make us also faithful to the truth of your word that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. And so, Father, would you be pleased to continue to draw our hearts to our faithful Savior and reigning Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.